We've been in a series that's called Faith Activators. And we've been talking about faith a lot this year because that's the word that the Lord gave to this local church. It's why it's out in the lobby. It's up on the wall in, in English, in Spanish, and in French. And, and, and faith, the Bible tells us what faith is. If you look at the definition of faith, it's complete trust in someone or something. That is what faith is. And we've been talking about what activators are, and I'm going to tell you what it is when you put it together. But an activator is a substance that initiates a chemical reaction. And so when we put those two thoughts together, when you think of a faith activator, this is the way we're defining it. It's an action that initiates or that activates your faith, my faith. And up to this point in the series, this is part four, we've talked about three things as faith activators. We talked about giving is a faith activator. We talked about walking with God being a faith activator. And we talked about building being a faith activator. Those actions activate faith. We'll read about them again in a minute. It's in Hebrews chapter 11 where it talks about that by faith, Abel offered. It also talked about by faith, Abraham offered or gave. It talked about by faith, Enoch did not see death because he walked with God. And it talked about Noah being divinely warned of the flood, the destruction that was to come. He went out and built an ark. Those three things activated these men's faith. And those things in our life activate faith. When you obey God in giving and obey God in walking with him and you obey God in building, it activates our faith. So I, I want us to go to Hebrews chapter 11. You're quasi caught up. Go back and listen to them if you haven't heard them. They're on all our platforms. They're on our YouTube channel. They're on our podcast. You can subscribe to those and you also get notified when we upload new ones. Hebrews chapter 11. Starting in verse 1, this is what it says. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Verse number six says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God. That's what it says. Whoever will draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him by faith. Noah being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Verse number eight, I'm going to read it twice. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. One more time, verse number eight. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out, 
not knowing where he was going. So this morning, I want to talk about obedience activates our faith. Obedience activates our faith. And if you're taking notes, I actually want you to write it down this way. Obedience is a key activator of faith. Obedience is a key activator of faith. And you perhaps this morning are like, hold on, you're in part four. You're saying this is a key activator. Why didn't you start with it? Well, God described it as the fourth one in this chapter, and we're going in that order there. Abraham, as we think about him for a second, let's think about what we know about Abraham. Abraham is known as the father of the faith. Anybody heard that before? As a matter of fact, about 75% of world religions trace their origin to Abraham as Abraham being the father of their faith. You can Google search it, fact check me if you want. Judaism, even Islam, Catholicism, every part of Christians that call themselves Christian, whether it be Protestant, Lutheran, Baptist, Episcopalian, they all trace it back to Abraham being the father of faith. And the word that is used by God to describe Abraham's faith here was obedience. He obeyed. And when I tell you that faith is a key activator of faith, you can see that the element of obedience was present in the former three. When we talked about Abel. Abel and Cain were told, both told by God what it was that he wanted, only one obeyed. Abraham was told by God, we see it in verse 17, if you go fast forward there, but we talked about it in part one. He was told by God to give his son, and he obeyed. We see the widow of Seraphath, she was told by God to give Elijah a cake, and she obeyed, and her prosperity came, right? Her, her, not her prosperity, but better said, her provision came. That till the end of the drought, her oil never ran dry. We see it in the life of Enoch. He did not see death. He walked with God because he obeyed God. He was with God continuously. And we see that Noah built an ark. And Noah didn't just like, okay, God said, go build an ark. And he was like, yes, I do. I will. No, he actually obeyed God and began to build. There is an element of obedience when it comes to faith, and it cannot be lost, because obedience is a key activator of faith. If you look at the word obedience, this is the definition of it. Submission to another's authority. Faith is submit, I'm sorry, obedience is submission to another's authority. So we ask this question, or I say it this way, we obey who we are submitted to and trust. We obey who we are submitted to and trust, right? Anybody ever had a coworker that was let go because of the fact that they did not obey what the company said to do? They did not submit to their authority and they were asked to leave the company. We have situations even in homes, young people that do not want to submit to the authority in their home and they end up having to leave the home. And we will say things like under my roof, This is what we do, and you align to what we do, or you cannot be here. Oh, that is so cold and heartless. No, it is authority and obedience to submission to authority. So I ask the question, who are you and I submitted to? Who was Abraham submitted to? 
So I want to go to Genesis chapter 12 so we can get a little more detail on Abraham. Go to Genesis chapter 12. It says in verse number one, I'm going to read verses number one through seven. Verse number one, Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, now we'll pause there for one second because you've heard me continue to say Abraham, Abraham, and now this says Abram. God changes Abram's name to Abraham years after where we are in this present passage of Genesis chapter 12, okay? So I just want to make sure we're talking about the same person. I want you to get that. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham or Abram went to the Lord, or as the Lord had told him. Let me read that again. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord. Abram was a man submitted to God, and his obedience teaches that. But let's dig into him for a little bit. First and foremost, we do not know how Abraham came to know God. The Bible doesn't teach us or tell us how Abraham came to know God, but we know this. He had an encounter with him and submitted his life to him because it's evident through his obedience. We do know that his father did not know God. Abram's father's name is Terah, T-E-R-A-H. Joshua chapter 24, when the children of Israel have started to conquer the promised land, in Joshua 24, when he's talking to the children of Israel, he says, our fathers, Abraham, his father, Terah, who fathered Abraham and Nahor, served other gods on the other side of the river. So it's evident and clear. The Bible teaches us Terah, his father, didn't worship the one true God. He worshiped other gods. We don't know if he had an encounter at one moment, but we know that Abraham didn't see it until a moment where God appeared to him, and we don't know how the encounter was. But when there was an encounter, there was a shift where Abraham began to obey what God would say. It's the same thing that happens to you and I. When we encounter God, we shift our behavior and we begin to obey God. When we submit to him, we'll obey him. This is the other thing we know about Abraham, was the fact, I already mentioned this, he's known as the father of faith. His father served other gods. Now, what do we learn from this story on obedience? A few things. Write it down. We don't need to know every detail in order to obey. We don't need to know every detail in order to obey. 
And every parent in the room says, yeah. Because every parent in the room has had a conversation with one of their children. When they tell them to do something, and the child says, but why? And why? And you go through this whole process. You've probably done it, right? You might have done it this morning to your dad. But why? But why? And we miss out in the questioning. We miss out on what we were going to get at times. And faith is going even when we don't know where the place we're going to yet is. Like Abraham was told by God, go out of your country, your father's house, to the place I will show you. And then he had to go tell that to his wife. Come on, ladies, think about that for a second. Your, wife get, your, your husband gets home and says, we're leaving. What do you mean we're leaving? We're picking up. We're selling everything. We're going. Where are we going? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? God said go, so we're going to go. Like, that must have been an interesting conversation. When I meet them in heaven, if I can, I'm going to be like, so tell me, how, what, how did it go, Sarai? Like, like, what was it? Did Abraham have to get to the point of being like, but God said there's a blessing when we obey. God said, like, what, what is it that allowed you to finally take the step and go? Abraham didn't know where he was going. It's what it says in Hebrews chapter 11. Not even knowing where he was going, he obeyed, and that was counted as faith. You and I, we don't need to know every detail. We just need to obey. God says, jump, we jump. We don't ask how high. See, that's the world saying. When I say jump, you say how high. No, 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 no. When God says jump, you just jump. If he wants to catch you, keep floating like that guy that dunked that tonight. I don't know what even the guy's name. It looked like he was floating for three minutes uh, at the dunk, sorry, slam dunk contest yesterday. Anybody watch the slam dunk contest? I didn't watch it, but I saw the highlight this morning. Anyways, sorry. Squirrel brain. We don't need to know every detail. We just need to obey. We need to obey. Having to know every detail can cause us to miss out on God's best. Because we stayed too long where we weren't supposed to be. Here's another thing we learned from this. We need to obey God even when it doesn't make sense. Now, if you notice, I put sense in quotations. Because I'm talking about it doesn't make sense in the earthly being of sense. I'll show you about Abraham. It didn't make any sense. First and foremost, if you catch it in verse number four, Genesis chapter 12, it says he was 75 years old when God told him to leave and that he went. Because I'm a numbers geek, I kept reading. And Abraham was 175 when he died, which means he had already lived 43% of his life when God told him, pick everything up and go. And he obeyed. That's a hard thing, especially for those that are a little older at times. What do you mean, go? What is that song from Frozen? Into the unknown, right? God's like, go, but where? Into the unknown, right? Go! And Abram's like, okay, I will go. Some of you perhaps are at a stage in your life and God told you go and you're like, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm just so comfortable. Abraham was comfortable. Can I tell you something for a second? 
Abraham went with his dad to this city where they were living called Haran. They used to live in Ur. And if you look at a map, I don't have a map here, but if you look at a map, I'm just going to present this as a map. Ur is over here. And it says in Genesis chapter 11, the verse right before the start of chapter 12, that they were going to go to Haran, or I'm sorry, they were going to go to Canaan. That's where they were going to go. Abraham's father was going to go to Canaan. And her Ur is here, Canaan is here, Haran is up here. And they went to Haran and they settled there and Terah decided to stay there. Now, we don't know why he stayed there. We can make different speculations. One of them is this. I, I realized this about two years ago, just doing my daily Bible reading. Terah had three kids, Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Haran is actually the father of Lot, who leaves with Abraham. When Terah gets to a city ha, that had the same name as his dead son, he decided to settle there. He couldn't get past it. Maybe at that point, God had already told him to go, but he didn't obey, yet Abraham did. Oh, come on. And from where they had settled in Haran to where they showed up in Shechem is over 400 miles. Now, you and I can go to the parking lot, jump in our cars, and drive 400 miles in what, give or take, five hours? Think about with the camels and the people that live with him and everybody else through a desert trekking 400 miles. From a place that he had already been with his father for a while. He was comfortable. Maybe his tent was paid off. I don't know. And God said, go at 75. And we know that he already had some sense of stature in the place. How do we know that? Again, let's read what the word of God says. He set out to go to the, and, and, and if, where's verse number five? And Abram took Sarai, his wife, Lot, his brother's son, all their possessions that they had gathered and the people they had acquired in Haran. This was a wealthy man who even had people that worked for him and they all picked up to go with him. That must have been scary, but he obeyed the word of God. It didn't make sense. It may not make sense to you to go do this that God said, but I guarantee you, when you obey, huh, you'll receive your promise. That's the next point. In our obedience, we will receive our promise. He didn't know where he was going, but he obeyed and started going. And what does verse number seven of Genesis chapter 12 say? It says that then God appeared to him. God appeared to him. Verse number one of Genesis 12, and God said to Abram, go. Abraham got all his belongings, got all his family, started going. And when he got to Canaan, God appears to him and tells him, all this land, I'm giving it to your descendants. He receives his promise. If you know me, I believe we should back up everything with the word of God. We don't use one verse and that's it. We make doctrine out of it. 
Let me show you other instances of obedience bringing the promise. Second Kings talks about a Syrian general. His name is Naaman. You can read up the oh, you can read the story later. Second Kings chapter number five. Naaman was not even an Israelite. He's not even part of the promised people. And he is in his land. He's a high-ranking general for the Syrian army. But he's got a problem. He's got leprosy. And in his house, there is a little Hebrew or Israelite slave girl. And she says to Naaman's wife, her master, she says, Oh, if only Naaman would go to Israel, would go to the land of my people. If only he would go there and encounter the prophets, he would be cleansed. Naaman hears this, tells the king of Syria. The king of Syria writes letters to the, people of, uh, to the king of the people of Israel. And Naaman shows up with letters saying, I heard there's a prophet that can heal me. I guess, and, the, and the king's like, you, this is war. This is an act of war. You want to come to me so that when you don't get healed, you invade us. And the prophet says, no, God's got this. Send them over here. So Naaman goes to the house of the prophet. Again, this is 2 Kings chapter number uh, 5. You can read it later. I'm not going to read that whole passage because it's long. But Naaman gets there. And you know what the prophet does? He doesn't even go outside to see him. The prophet doesn't even go to the door. He sends his servant Gehazi and tells him, go tell Naaman to wash seven times in the river, and he will be cleansed. So Gehazi goes out. The prophet says, wash seven times in the river. You will be healed. And you know what Naaman does? He gets angry. He gets upset. And this is what he says. I thought he was going to come out, wave his hand or something, right? And he's telling me to go dip in a river, in a disgusting, ugly river. Syrians didn't like these people. And he says this, aren't the rivers of Syria better and cleaner? Can I wash there? Disobedience. Then one of his servants says, master, if the prophet had asked you to do something grand, would you not have done it? This is something so simple. Oh, man, and we disobey the simple thing so many times. So Naaman gets a check in his heart, and he goes to the river, and he dips seven times, and he comes out with skin as smooth as Asher's bottom. <laughs> the Bible says his skin was smooth. Now, this is a warrior. This is a general, a swordsman, probably had calloused, rough skin, and obedience brought him his healing. Obedience will bring it. Can I give you another one? Luke chapter 17. Again, you can read it later. There's a story of 10 lepers, and they come to Jesus, and they say, you can clean, you can clean us. You can do this. And Jesus says this. He doesn't pray over them. He doesn't touch them. He doesn't heal them. He tells them this. Go show yourselves to the priests. And the Bible says clearly, Luke chapter 17, that as they went, they received their healing. Obedience to the word of Jesus got them their healing. 
Church, many of us are where we are today because we haven't obeyed a simple thing like go dip in the river or a simple thing like go show yourself and on your way. We're missing out because of the key activator of obedience. Our obedience, in it, we receive our promise. So let me tell you this. When God calls, obey. No matter the time. Again, Abraham was 75. He lived to 175. As a matter of fact, we're going to talk a little bit more about this in a couple of weeks. He was 75 years old and still had no kids and obeyed God. There were some hiccups along the way, but he didn't have the kid till he was 100. So why am I mentioning that today? Because don't obey and two weeks later say, oh, I obeyed God. Why isn't, my process, why isn't it here yet? Continue obeying until you receive it. Not receiving instantly. We're living in a time where we just want the instant gratification. Minute rice. Everything done. Quick. Burger King. Your way, my way. My way, your whatever the Burger King slogan is. Your way right away. No, 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 no. God said, I obey. Listen and obey. Listen and obey. What has God asked you or me to do that we have not obeyed in? See, you know what the Bible also teaches us? Disobedience will ruin your life. In the book of 1 Samuel, we hear of the first king of Israel by the name of Saul. Saul was told by the prophet, do X, Y, and Z, and Saul didn't. And the famous words are uttered from the Spirit of God through the prophet Samuel that God said, I delight in obedience better than sacrifice. Where have you and I not obeyed to the full letter of what God said? And is that why we haven't gotten to where God said to get? What is it that God has asked of us at the stage of life where we might be? I'm going to be transparent and honest. Like I remember it like it was yesterday. December 31st of 2010, waiting for the new year into January 1st of 2011, or yeah, 10 to 11. And I was in a New Year's Eve service when I felt God say, it's time to go open a church. And I told my wife and she had felt the same. And we met with our leadership, with our senior pastor and said, this is what we felt from God. And can I tell you, it was scary. I was very comfortable. I was a successful youth pastor, if you would. Youth ministry that was larger than our churches. I had everything comfort-wise in going down the path of what ministry would be. But it's not what God wanted for my life. And I had to choose to obey or disobey and lose the anointing. See, because that's what happened to Saul. He disobeyed and he lost his anointing. He was an anointed king for two years and then ruled 38 without it. And I much rather be anointed for 12 than serve for 60 without it. Where are we? 
And are we obeying what God asked of us to do? As the worship team comes to the altar, I know this is a heavy, thick message. But as we begin to worship, my challenge and what I felt from God, this is what sparked a beautiful presence of God this morning. It was us examining our hearts and seeing where have we disobeyed God, repenting and telling him we will obey you. See, when we repent and get right with God, we can hear God. I was talking to a friend who I had been talking to for a long time. And we were talking about fixing, getting right with certain areas. And I remember I said to this person, like I've said to hundreds of people in my years of ministry, when you get right with God, everything falls into place. And so for a long time, I would ask this individual, hey, we got to get this right. We got to get right. We got to get right. And we talk, right? It, 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 if you ask me to mentor and you want me to push, I'm going to push. If you don't give me access, I'm not going to. But after whatever amount of time, this person decided it's time to get right. And they did. So I asked them time after that. So tell me, how, how, how is everything? And the answer that I received was this. It's so easy to get into the presence of God now. I used to have to fight to get into the presence. I had to like do so much. But now it's easy. That's called obedience. Genesis chapter 12, look at how evident it is. Verse number one, God said to Abraham, go. Abraham goes, and verse number seven, God appears to Abraham. Oh, I can't hear God. Are we disobedient in a certain area? Is there something that God asked of us to do that we're not doing? Dim the lights. Is there something that God said let go of that we're still grabbing a hold of? Is there something that God said to do that we haven't done? Is there something that God said that we haven't obeyed in? And then we're at this place where we're saying, I can't hear him. I can't see him. Why? Could it be that there was a portion where God said to do and we didn't obey I want everybody to stand to their feet, every head bowed, every eye closed. If we can get into that, the, the song, the I'm sorry. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Listen, first and foremost, if you've never given your life to Jesus, that's the first thing you need to obey in. I'm going to ask that nobody moving around. This is just a time between you and God. Before we even get into that, if you've never made Jesus the Lord in your life, let me tell you, religion does not save you. Sacraments do not save you. Good works do not save you. All of those things we do because we have given Jesus our life. And so if you've never made him the Lord of your life, and is it a hard thing, convoluted? Absolutely not. The Bible says it's two things. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, most famous verse on the earth, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. If you believe that Jesus is his Son, you're halfway there. 
Then the book of Romans tells us that if you confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, you shall be saved. So the question is this, do you believe Jesus is his son? And the second thing is, have you confessed them as the Lord of your life? So even before we get into this part of repentance, the main part of repentance is surrendering our life to Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life and you want to do that today, I just want you to simply, right where you are, I want you to pray this with me. You're not going to do it alone. We'll do it with you. This is a condition of your heart, a disposition of your heart to God. And tell him this, God, I am a sinner. I cannot get to you on my own. But I believe Jesus is your son. He came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross and he rose from the grave to pay the price for my sin. So today, I ask Jesus, come and live in my heart. Write my name in the book of life. And from now on, God, I'm yours and you are mine in Jesus' name. If you did that today for the first time, believing it sincerely, I believe what the Bible says. There's a party in heaven right now for you, a sinner, giving your life to Jesus. You are made new. The old does not define you. The past does not define you. Who you used to be in your sin and in your, in, in your idolatry and in your past and in your addiction, that's not who you are anymore because you've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. But now let's talk with our new brothers and sisters in Christ and us who have known him for a while, but we've been disobedient. As we begin to worship, I want you to sincerely talk to God and you can find a spot. You can come to the altar and kneel and pray. You can kneel at your seat. You can stand. You can do what not. Just you and God. And if there's an area of your life, if God told you, maybe three years ago, God told you to do something and you haven't done it yet. Repent and make the choice to begin to obey God in that area today. Maybe there's something that you've struggled to let go. You, God, you know God wants you to let go of that addiction, of that bondage, of that imagery, of that thing that you were doing, of that idolatry, and you haven't obeyed and let go. And it's why you can't hear him. You can't see him face to face as Abraham did. You can't encounter his presence because of the fact that there's disobedience this morning right there where you are or you can come to the altar we're going to dim the lights this is the time of you and God if you're online as well just just right there where you are ask God to show you if there's an area in your life where there was disobedience repent and let him know you will be obedient going forward in Jesus name